0: Let's continue worship with a reading from Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is the Word of God. You may be seated. There we go. Hey, are you
1: clapping for me or for announcements? I'm not sure what's happening there. I'm happy to see you too. Uh, What's up, y'all? Hey, uh, first, thanks for everyone who came out yesterday and helped with the chili cook-off. It was amazing. We had a a dunking booth. Everyone got back at me for having a mustache. Um, And... It was great. However, when, right when I was getting in, i got to share something with you guys. Right when I was getting in the dunk to, dunking tank, um, some terrorists <laughs> approached the tank with a cooler of ice and dumped it in the tank right before. It was an act of terrorism. Uh, I, I did see their faces, and I, I know where some of them sleep, so v- vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Uh <laughs> Anyway, it was a good time. So if you missed it, you'll, we'll get another shout out next year. And a middle schooler took the championship, the chili champion. That <laughs> was crazy. That was amazing. could not believe it. All right. So today we continue a conversation uh, that we started a few weeks ago um, on marriage. I know everyone, not, everyone in here is not married. I know that, uh, but you might want to get married one day. And um, you should know what you're getting yourself into. And a lot of us in here are married, of course, and we still don't know what we've gotten ourselves into, so let's, let's figure it out together. Uh, what is it? What's this thing called marriage? Uh, what is God's vision for it? And how is it different than your vision for it? And your experience of it, Um, and I need to say this every week, it seems super clear. If I say anything that sounds smart, remotely smart, I got it from Tim Keller's sermons and books, um, which, by the way, we ordered more of his book, The Meaning of Marriage, in the cafe. Uh, If you just want to take this conversation to the next level, grab the book. We only have four copies, though. Um, But Grab the book and and read it along. As we are going through this topic, it would just take the whole conversation to level up. And if you're married, I'd double dare dog challenge you to read it with your spouse. Um, Last week, sorry, we said the essence of marriage um, is based on promise. Promise, that's it, it's pretty simple, right? Um, it's essentially a covenantal promise between a public, cur- uh, permanent promise. Uh, of exclusivity, of intimacy, of priority uh, between the sexes. That's how we defined marriage last week. Today we're just going to explore this promise in light of Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5, what we've been sitting with. Um, But if you weren't here last week, let me just give you uh, up to speed, get you up to speed on what we talked about Um, The idea that marriage is based on a promise, you might think, well, everyone knows that. Um, But actually, (laughs) it's quite different than how our culture thinks about marriage today. The modern Western approach to marriage is on the basis of individual self-fulfillment. That's the modern approach. I get married because you will enhance my life in some way. And what we said last week is this is actually an extremely subjective definition of what it means to be in love. Basically, what it means to be in love is you make me feel good. And that's how the modern Western mind defines marriage. It's based on feelings. It's based on maybe romance or erotic uh, sexual appetites or self-wishes. It's the foundation of why we get married. In our society, it's not on promise. (laughs) Could you imagine? This is here. If we put how we actually think about marriage in a marriage vow, it would sound like this. I promise that you will always give me sex when I want it. Could you imagine going to a marriage ceremony and hear, I promise that you will always make me feel good. And if you think I'm exaggerating it, just ask yourself, when you got married and then discovered the fact that this person couldn't fully fulfill you, did you not think you'd been cheated? Did you not think, wait a second, I, 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 thought, you were gonna meet all, I thought you were gonna meet all my needs and I, I thought you were gonna fulfill me as a person and then get some idea that maybe you, you are now justified on your option to get out because you thought they were gonna, fu- that's how we think about marriage today. It's a consumeristic approach, y'all. You treat your spouse like you do Starbucks. If you don't serve you the way they want you, you're going to go to Dunkin' Donuts. This is how our society thinks about marriage. It's not based on promise. It's based on consumeristic self-fulfillment, love. And our society is not about a promise. It's not, what is a promise? A promise is, I will do. That's a promise. It's not what marriage is based on in our minds. All right? All right. Love, we said last week, is based on what you are willing to sacrifice. We think about marriage on what I'm willing to get, right? And I think we know this intuitively. It's just kind of floating under the uh, surface of our thinking about love. But y'all, love is about what you are willing to give, not get, right? If someone says, I will love you if, (laughs) that's not love, is it? each of us would say, well, wait a second. Love is supposed to be this kind of heavenly, unconditional thing. So if someone says, I will love you if you do this, we would push back and say, well, wait a second. I don't, I don't think that's love. And yet, that's how we think about marriage today. So much so that when we get into a marriage and we think this person's going to always fulfill me, and when they don't, and when they're imperfect, when their flaws come out, when their inconsistencies are revealed, when we begin to see their cracks, we think we've made a great mistake. See, that's because you've defined love by your feelings, the feelings you receive, not the actions that you're willing to give, right? Biblically, love is action, first and foremost, not a feeling. This was last week. And this is so huge, I just need to press on it just a little bit more, because I know you don't believe me, all right? So, Jesus said, If you love me, you'll feel warm fuzzies for me every day. (laughs) Jesus said, If you love me, you will have ecstatic, enthusiastic worship experiences. I love those. I'm down. No, he said what? What did he equate love to? Action. He said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Jesus seemed to think that there is a direct connection between not necessarily how you always feel. Dude, your feelings are going to come and go, bro. Your feelings are gonna come and go in the marriage uh, newsflash. Your feelings are gonna come and go in your walk with God. And if you're resting your life on emotional gratification, can I just tell you, you're doing it on your terms. You're doing relationships on your terms. You're doing God on your terms. You're saying, if you'll fulfill me here, here, and here, then I'll obey. If you will meet this, this, and this need, then I'll love you and we can get married. That's on your terms, dude. Your emotions are gonna come and go, right? And look at look, all of us. I know we're like this is, guys, This is harsh. Like, listen, every single one of us longs for a love that transcends our act, our actions. We long for We long for a love that's consistent, don't we? What is every movie about? Like loyal, consistent love of the person that's faithful to the end and our hearts melt? Y'all, it's why we cry at marriage ceremonies. We don't cry because they're like, I'll love you if you do what I want. No, we cry because they say in sickness or health, like no matter what, I'm going to love you. And something inside of our heart goes, that's the kind of love I want. And that's the kind of love that none of us can give. Dude. You probably stood up in front of a lot of people and promised something that you you had no business promising. You, I mean, all of us, every single one of us, have been unfaithful to the promise we made before God and our friends. Because we've rested our love on the performance of our spouse. I'm just, I've left the notes. We're gone. We're taken off, we're in orbit, <laughs> right? We've rested our love on the performance of our spouse and their ability to fulfill us in whatever ways that we would like to be fulfilled. And so we don't have marriage based on promise. We have marriage based on self-fulfillment. It's just true, y'all. It's how our society thinks about it. Emotions come and go, right? If we look, I'm I'm not dogging emotions. I'm an emotion, I'm like, look, I'm up here like screaming, right? Like I'm an emotional, I'm a feeler. I feel my way to things. i like people say, what do you think? I'll say, well, I feel like, like I'm, I'm there. Emotions aren't bad. You just can't rest your life on them. They're not, They're not strong enough, man. They're not strong enough to get you to the end. You need something bigger, something more dense, right? That you can rest your life on, right? Love is a commitment to be caring. It's an act of loving despite my own feelings, And despite their ability sometimes to fulfill me, right? This is how Jesus defined love. Greater love has no one than this, than? Oh, dude, that's it, man. And let me just tell you right now, that verse is marriage. And if you think it's something else, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. It's laying down your life over and over and over. We're done. Let's just pray. All right, no. We're just now. This is the intro. All right, I'm just recapping last week. All right. Some of you are like, how long is this going to take? This basis of marriage is backwards, and I know it, y'all. A continual laying down of your life. This is Christian marriage. A continual laying down of your life. And let me tell you something it's the only way it works. And we know this is true for our kids. We have a different category for how we love our kids. We lay down our life for them over and over and over again. We make deep, ridiculous sacrifices for our kids over and over again, right? There's nothing erotic about that, right? It's not, not even a motive. We're just laying our life down for our kids. Why? Because we love them. And we understand that self-sacrifice is required for love in that category. We just, don't, we just dismiss it from um, the marriage category. Because we think, well, marriage is all about my, my fulfillment, my being, my needs being met, right? And listen, uh, self-sacrifice is love. That's love, and every movie will tell you the same thing. It's not just from the Bible. It's in the it's in the dreams of humanity. Every movie is getting across someone who sacrifices their self for for the world or a group of people or another individual, and our hearts melt, right? Because that's the essence of love. But this is how it works in real Let me tell you how it really works in the real world, okay? So there was, like, ideal, heavenly, sounds great. We all love for that kind of— Okay, here's how it really works in marriage. You have these two young, naive people come together with certain expectations, and they get married, and after the honeymoon phase is over, for some people it's three years, for some people it's three weeks, Right? They begin to see cracks in the other person. And as I joked last week, it was an assault to me. What? You're not perfect, right? So when they begin to see these cracks, the man thinks, well, she's not being the wife that I'd like her to be or that she ought to be or that I thought she was going to be. You know what? So I'm going to take my foot off the gas as well. I'm not going to give more than her. I'm not a dummy. So... The trash is not going to get taken out. (laughs) My wife just giggled. (laughs) Well, whatever. Whatever the role, whatever the expectation is, you as a husband are supposed to do. I'm supposed to take the trash out. Whatever. Okay, fine. And then she notices that the trash is billowing out of the trash can. There's trash on the ground. And she thinks, oh, so he thinks he can slide in cruise control? (laughs) All right. Let's see how long he can go without a clean bathroom. Turns out indefinitely, right? <laughs> right? He doesn't care at all. Dude could care less, right? Like his bathroom was a terrarium in college, right? Like it sounded like <laughs> ecosystem, right? All right. So she's like, well, re-strategize. How about no sexy time? That'll get my point across which, of course, goes over super well, right? To which he replies, stay with me, in his mind, of course, (laughs) let's clarify, none of this is verbalized, right? (laughs) Okay, so to which he replies in his mind, I can meet my sexual needs in other ways. And into dysfunction and sin, in a house with rats, (laughs) we go. And what was meant to be glorious and brilliant now has become destructive and debilitating. Why? Basically, one word, you're self-centered. And you put your needs and desires above everyone else's. Every relational conflict is a result almost of self-centeredness, either your self-centeredness or someone else's self-centeredness, in which you say, my needs, my pain, my desires are more important than yours. In that scenario that I just gave you, the cost-benefit analysis wasn't making sense. I'm giving too much and she's giving too little. And the modern mind fails to see something really essential about the connection between emotions and actions. Emotions and feelings follow actions. We've reversed it. We think emotions need to come first, and then I'll act based on the way I feel. And I'm telling you, you got it backwards. If you don't feel loving, let me suggest something to you. Act loving and see if feelings don't follow. We've reversed it. We We wait for emotions to motivate actions. Instead of acting first and saying, maybe feelings will come, maybe they won't. But that's not the point. The point's the promise, you see. In re- it's, it's relationships on our terms. Pay me up front with emotional affirmation or sexual gratification or dish duty or whatever, and then I'll act loving. But that idea in which all of us have been there for Mary, don't smirk at me. You've been there, all right? That scenario creates what I just described. It creates hostility. It creates, I'm not for you, I'm against you. In fact, I'm really for myself, right? That thinking of I'm not going to give any more than she gives creates a hostile environment every single time. Biblically, the idea is that two people come together promising to put the other first in action. Not in emotion, guys. I love emotions. They're just not strong enough to sustain you or your marriage, okay? So when that spouse is not meeting our expectations, spoken or unspoken, biblically, you still act loving. You give them the benefit of the doubts. You maintain the course of loyal love, right? We act loving still. And then, if they have the Spirit of the Lord, which is assumed in Christian marriage, that you're baptized in His Spirit, they notice and they say, Wow, I I didn't deserve you acting loving after I was such a jerk. And you know what? I've probably let you down, and I'm sorry. And you know what just happened? You know what happened in that? Let me just... That was was humility and self-sacrifice. And let me tell you something. Cosmically, those are the only two things that restore broken relationships. Test my words and see if I'm wrong. Humility and self-sacrifice is a cosmic reality. And it is the only thing that restores relationship between man and woman, and between man and God. And most of the time, it's not yours. It's someone else who acts first. Because we're—do t- you get it, Rusty? Because we're—we're <laughs> too—we're too pig-headed to humble ourselves. Oftentimes, it's someone else. It's an outside source. Maybe it's the other spouse. Maybe it's God Himself who reveals himself to you as one who humbled himself and sacrificed himself for you. It's the only way that we can mend relationships. And and this is even what it means in Ephesians 5, what we read, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? And when that happens, when mutual submission, when mutual humility, when mutual self-sacrifice happens, love wins and it breaks the cycle of destruction. One person can have a bad day or a bad month or a bad year. And the other person maintains a course of loyal love and says, I will humble myself and sacrifice myself. I'm telling you the ideal, okay? I'm telling you what God has in mind for this relationship. Do you know why he had this in mind for your relationship? Because it's how he's acted towards us. And and the secret of marriage, what we're not getting into today, is that everything we're talking about in this relationship is an echo of another relationship, of Christ's relationship with the church. Did you notice it in Ephesians 5? There's this weird blending of man and, what is he talking about man and woman? Is he talking about Jesus in the church? Did you catch it? We ha- we're not even getting into it yet, right? And we're nowhere near what headship means. I'll fall on that grenade later, right? <laughs> but I'll give you a teaser. I'll give you a teaser. It means the person who humbles himself first. Like Jesus did. Who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See? But back to the main line of thought here. Let me give one more illustration between the a- connection between action and emotion. This is a story from Mark Rutland that he told. I used to listen to Mark Rutland all the time on the radio. Val, what's up? Um, 1230. So, uh, it was amazing. I uh, loved it, right? So he tells this story about a, marriage, a man who was marriages with suffering, and Mark said to the guy, listen, you need to quit consulting how you feel, <laughs> which everyone loves to hear, right? And ask yourself, if you loved this woman, how would you act? You know, thinks about it for a second, he's like, well, I mean, I don't right now. I don't feel like I do, but okay, if I, if I love this woman, how would I act? I mean, I, I would bring her flowers, I guess. I guess guys do that when they love someone. Maybe I'd clean up the yard. kind of looks like Sanford and Son right now. So he says, okay, well, when you get home, landscape that yard to perfection. Make botanical gardens jealous, all right? Make your neighbors jealous. And he said, after you do that, after you make the yard look better than, you know, the Biltmore, next week, I want you to stop by the gym on the way home. This dude was a, a mechanic, so he was all oily and dirty when he got home. He says, listen, stop by the gym, grab, get, take a clean pair of clothes, stop by the gym, take a shower, get yourself nice and cleaned up, grab flowers, show up home smelling good and pretty with flowers in your hand, do it for a week. Ugh, really? Every day for a week? Yeah, just do it. Which, of course, feels utterly ridiculous, right? Are you, I mean, we don't even like each other right now, you know? Okay, but he did it. He said the first time it felt super weird, super. She was confused, right? (laughs) She was was real quiet, you know, shocked. Like, what are you doing, you know? (laughs) Second time, eh, you know, whatever. Thursday, he said, I was actually looking forward to the kind of flowers I was going to waste my money on, right? (laughs) And then Friday, he said he felt his heart shifting. Something was happening. (laughs) He said emotions were flooding in that he hadn't felt in years. And sure enough... Communication began to open up in the marriage. Y'all, humility and self-sacrifice. In this instance, he was sacrificing his idea of what, she thought she, what he thought she deserved. He had to die to that, to break through, right? And I'm not promoting hypocritical marriage this absent of honest emotion. I'm telling you how to get there because your spouse is never gonna be honest with you if you're the enemy. I'm telling you how to open up
0: communication.
1: You gotta prove that you're for them before they're going to be vulnerable with you. We don't trade secrets with the enemy. So you've got to make it clear, I am for you, you see? And that's what it does. And it opens up communication. They let their guard down, right? So I, I, I'm just saying you can't base it on emotions. I'm not saying it's absent of emotions, right? And it applies in all sorts of places. I had an old Subaru once. It was a piece of junk. But me and my buddy uh, replaced like just about every part is that Skylar laughing at my Subaru yeah. <coughs> How dare you, sir? Um, me and this buddy replaced, we're just having a good time. Me and this buddy replaced almost every single part on that engine. And dude, by the end of my life season with that car, I loved that piece of junk. Loved it. I invested so much in it. I just loved it, right? This is, the biblical picture of marriage is a faithful love over the long haul. You can't, now what I just said, you can't just translate that as faithful emotions over the long haul. <laughs> doesn't even make sense. It's like promising to have a headache. <laughs> faithful love. And the more you rely on emotions, the less and less you'll get out of it. But the more you commit in action, the payoff exponential. Faithful love. Stay love. So that was last week. Today, we sit with exclusivity, intimacy, and priority. What does that mean in marriage, Right? We read, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, let's just think about this. In antiquity, uh, the idea of leaving a father and mother today, well, let's say today, the idea of leaving a father and mother is not shocking to us. Like, we're like, yes, we're fine. We're going to leave. In the ancient world, it was much more difficult, this idea, right? And in fact, often in the ancient world, they just added on to mom and dad's house, right? They just made the estate bigger, right? Even today, almost every other culture understands the deep obligation children have to their parents way more than Western culture. Right? Almost every other society understands this commitment that children have to parents. So the idea of leaving the parents in the ancient text of the Bible was very countercultural, right? And it elevated, y'all, it elevated the husband and wife relationship to a place of priority even above parent child relationship. Parent child relationship is huge. I created you, (laughs) I basically own you, right? And what the Bible is saying is uh, no, it's husband and wife. It's elevated to the most important relationship in the cosmos, right? To put it simply, uh, in the garden, we have a husband and wife, not a parent and a child. You see? And so there is a priority and an exclusivity to this relationship above every other relationship. That means that when you get married, your spouse must become the most important relationship in your life, above your relationship with your friends, Above the relationship with your parents, even non-human entities. Above your relationship with your career. Above your relationship with your hobbies, right? It means that you give more time, more energy, more care to this relationship than every other one, right? Now, I know you might think, does this need to be said? It does. Because when we don't give this relationship the priority God says it has, we set ourselves up for failure and we sabotage God's design. The Bible seems to think this relationship between a husband and a wife will be the most important relationship in your life. We glue ourselves to this person, right, in every way—emotionally, relationally, socially, financially, physically—and God says this comes first. Now, Keller uses Tim Keller uses an illustration of career and health to help us understand priority. Career and health. Now, if you say, I'm going to put my career above everything else, even my health, right? You're going to work yourself into the grave. You're never going to sleep, right? And what's going to happen? Well, eventually you're going to lose both, your career and your health, because you've gotten the priorities mixed up. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so that is an illustration to the same, to the idea of marriage, to this relationship. If we mess up this priority, if the parent-child relationship, if the relationship between us and our parents become more important... If the relationship between us and our children become more important, us and our friends become more important, we might eventually lose both. You understand what I'm saying? If you break God's design, it breaks you. And this is the design we see. This relationship is to be, is to have exclusivity, it's to have priority. And there's all sorts of ways, guys, that we don't leave our father and mother. And all sorts of stress and strains that come in when we don't, right? We can be, just give you some examples, we can be financially dependent on our parents still. I mean, that's okay, sure, you can do that for a time, but it's going to cause obvious conflicts, isn't it? Because at some point, mom and daddy are going to say, well, I want you to do this. And you're going to look at your spouse and say, well, mommy and daddy say we wanna do th- they want to do this, and so I guess we have to because, you know, they're kind of... P- you know, like communication is hard enough for two, much less three or four people, all right? All right, now listen... Me and Allie, we lived with her parents for some times and it helped us out big time, but it had pros and cons, right? You can be emotionally dependent on your parents still. Listen, if you get more love and affirmation and comfort and feel you are more understood by your parents than your spouse, your marriage is in trouble. And of course, your spouse is never gonna be fully honest with you if they're afraid that you're gonna go tell mommy and daddy afterward right? Uh, Leaving and cleaving means that this person is is the one now. They're the one, right? And if there's someone else that you confide in more, stay with me, y'all. I know this is difficult. If there is someone else that you can confide in more, if there are things that you can't tell your spouse, they wouldn't understand, it means you have secrets. And that means you're not naked and unashamed. Maybe you're being naked physically, but you're not being naked emotionally. You're not giving them the priority that you said you would. And if there's someone else that you can divulge the emotions of your heart more freely with, you're being emotionally naked with that person and physically naked with your spouse. And these two things are not to be separated. Biblically, if you're not willing to give yourself emotionally, financially, socially, in all ways to be vulnerable to that person, then you don't have the right to be vulnerable naked with them. You understand what I'm saying, right? If your spouse is not your best friend, your marriage is in trouble. If there's someone else that you're getting more emotional affirmation, someone else that you feel they really get me, you can really open up to them. It doesn't matter if your parents or another friend or even your kids. Your marriage is in trouble. Listen, I'm not saying <laughs> that you and your spouse have to have all the same hobbies, right? You got to talk on the phone 24/7. It sounds exhausting, right? You have to like always wear matching outfits or whatever. Okay, I'm saying they become your emotional bedrock the one in whom you confide, the one who knows you better than anyone else, the one who understands you sometimes even better than yourself, right? And if you have another friend that you get more emotional comfort from, that you can be more honest with, especially if that person is of the opposite sex, your marriage is in deep trouble. You need to wake up. Because number one, your marriage, uh, in your marriage, it's possible, like I said, that you're getting naked physically, but not emotionally, right? Which means someone's being used. But number two, if... The person you trust most, and you confide in most, open up to most, is not your spouse, but someone who's of the opposite sex. Man, you're sharing your bed with your spouse, but you're sharing your heart with that person. And that's a recipe for disaster. And you know what I'm saying is true. What did Adam say when he saw Eve? What a babe. No. (laughs) Hot mama. No. He said, This at last, at last, is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. What is he saying? He's saying, she is my other part. Or rather, in her, I find myself. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We're the same, and yet not the same, right? (laughs) She in many very real ways, which we're going to talk about more later, completes me like a puzzle piece. We're not the same, and yet we are the same. There is, what am I trying to say? Between, across the sexes, between man and woman, there is a completion factor that happens in relationships that does not happen in same-sex relationships because across genders, we have the other, capital O, looking at us and saying, I understand you. And that's very, very different than someone of the same sex looking at us and saying, I understand you. When a person of the opposite sex looks at you and extends compassion and emotional support and says, I understand you to the depths, it's dramatically different than the same sex, right? And if you're married, And if your best friend is someone of the opposite sex, your marriage is in danger and you better look out, right? Now, I'm not saying you can't have friends. I'm not saying you can't, you know, I'm just saying you can't be naked and unashamed with them. You got to be naked. You see what I'm saying? All right. So, and it's true through all relationships, not just parent-child, not just uh, friendships, right? In fact, it's true, very very true, uh, 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 what's the word? Tragically true um, in many's uh, parent-to-child relationship. This is a bad one for us. Um, for many people, their relationship with their kids becomes the priority in their life, and they neglect the relationship with their spouse. Thus, it's common sense, y'all, that many marriages fall apart when they become empty nesters because they have made another relationship the priority, not the husband, spouse, the child. Listen, listen, you have i am told—you <laughs> have your kids for a season. <laughs> now, it doesn't feel like that for me, but— I'm told by others, they eventually leave, don't right? Don't believe it, someone said. Someone said, don't believe it. Uh, listen, listen, Ephesians 6 says, raise them up. That means get rid of them, all right? It, it, means, it means make them not need you anymore, right? Uh, listen, the mother love, mother love instinct can grow out of bounds, right, to where the parent begins to need the child for emotional stability and support. And sometimes marriages can be so bad that parents turn their kids into surrogate spouses. And they begin to get more love and more affections from their kids and their spouse. If you, as the parent, receive more love and comfort from your child, um, experts say this is a recipe for child abuse. Child abuse often happens when parent has placed the child at the center of their affirmation and emotional value. They've placed the center of that on their child. And the child has become a surrogate spouse. And then when their kids can't give them the love and affections that they desperately needed often results in child abuse, right? Now, I don't know if you've ever read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. In The Great Divorce, there's one lady. it's It's an amazing story. It's these people coming to the doorstep of heaven and refusing to go in by their own volition. And this one woman gets to the doorstep of heaven and because her, her son is in heaven, but when she gets there, she is told that she cannot own her son anymore. She's told that she, he, she can't run his life like she did on earth. And she's told that here, his name was Michael, he, she, the angel, whoever it was, says, he's free in God. He belongs to God, not you. And she says, no, he belongs to me. And turns around and refused to go, 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 go walk into heaven, right? When the parent-child... It's a fascinating book, and I was confused half of you. Just go read it. All right. <clears throat> when the parent-child relationship becomes the most important thing, it's obvious why marriages fall apart when the kids leave. The, didn't, the, the relationship didn't have priority. You, you gave it to someone else. Scripture says the two become one flesh. Y'all, that's staggering language. One flesh, two people. That's of ultimate unity and oneness. They're creating a totally new person, not just physically, but emotionally, socially, in every way. One flesh, y'all, has all sorts of implications. In marriage, that means that your marriage cannot be a mixture of both of your parents' ways of doing things. This is another way we don't leave. Your marriage has to be a a new unit. You could say it this way. Your marriage is not like mixing cookie dough where you get some chocolate cookies, some chocolate chips from your family and some, you know, cookie dough from mine and we mix together. No, no, marriage is more like a chemical compound. You're becoming one entirely new substance, right? It's more like chemistry. You're a new unit. You're not the old unit. You're one flesh now. One flesh means it's unique to you. That means it's not an echo of your parents' relationship. You have to leave them, right? It's not just financially or emotionally, but we have to leave habits. We have to leave expectations behind, right? This is what I mean. Let's say the wife grew up and her dad always uh, cleaned the bathroom. That was just his job. He did that. And her mom loved that about her dad, right? I love, you know, he always cleans the bathroom. It's was always so clean. And you know what? That's how he tells me that he loves me. He cleans the bathroom, right? And then she gets married. And her husband could care less, like we said. Like if mold is growing on side, right? And so, of course, <clears throat> she's not gonna straight up ask him to clean it. That ruins it, right? <laughs> so Amen. she, he, he needs to read her mind. Okay, it's the only way it works. So, so she just drops subtle hints because the bathroom's dirty. And what does that? What does she hear? She hears, you don't love me. Because that's how my dad always told my mom that he loved her. So dirty bathroom equals you don't love me, right? And here he has, he doesn't care. So she starts dropping subtle hints, right? She she writes, wash me in the mold on the side. Or, even better, here, here it is. She writes it in her hair on the side. You know it's true. <laughs> well, but this is the problem. He thinks when I grew up, my mom cleaned the bathroom. So it's your job. And when she refuses to clean it, he, she, he hears her say, I don't love you. Listen, you've not left. You've not left. you got to leave. You're a new unit, and you have to come to consensus with one another. What's us? How are we going to do it? You can't just echo your parents' thing. It's going it's to have all these unresolved, unspoken expectations. You're going to be in conflict over and over and over again. Guys, leaving and cleaving means you got to leave it all behind. You're a new unit. You can't bring not only is there a, you can't be emotionally dependent, you can't be, and you can't bring the habits and traditions. You're a new thing. Sure, there's good things you're going to bring into that, but you got to clarify that. You got to talk about it. You got to come to consensus. Who is us? Who will we be as a new unit? And if you don't have the maturity to work through those unspoken expectations, you're just going to be in conflict nonstop. It's just going to be nonstop because here you have 30 years, maybe, of this is what's normal, and then when you get into a whole totally new unit, you're, these two things are colliding. And of course, we have all sorts of conflict that happens, right? You are not your parents. Quit trying to force your spouse in a mold that might break them. You see? Right? That kind of unspoken expectation, it crushes marriage. I mean, listen. When he grew up, hand towels in the bathroom for, were for actually drying your hands. You know? So she comes in. She's like, why are these wet? She's like, it's a hand towel. You're supposed to dry. I I found this headline. I apologize in advance. (laughs) Maybe you grew up, and it was always mom's job to change the diapers. You know that one? Listen, look at this one. Here we go. Husband patiently waits until after midnight on Mother's Day to ask wife to change the diaper, right? Or maybe it was always mom's job to do the dishes. You guys know this one? This is hilarious. Man receives coveted husband of the year award after running a little bit of water over the dish he used, right? It's funny until you're in the joke and you realize you're being a lazy jerk and trying to coast on stereotypical chauvinistic gender roles, right? Right? Marriage means you're an entirely new unit. You have to go through the difficult process of actually verbalizing your expectations so you can become one flesh, right? Of course, there are good things our parents handed to us, and that's great. But the point is 20, 30 years of unspoken expectations will end in conflict. If you're not willing to let those things go, right? If you're going to always require that we do it the way my family did it, you're just constantly going to be battling it out. And guess what it takes right here? Humility and self-sacrifice. And if they don't come in mutually, and it has to be mutual, if they don't come in mutually, it'll break down, right? Each party has to come in and say, I'm willing to sacrifice something old so that we can establish something new and beautiful, right? So that we can establish something that's transparent and honest and true to who we really are as individuals, right? You have to leave and become one flesh, right? And it has intimacy, it has exclusivity, it has priority. If you're married... What are the ways in which you are not prioritizing the relationship that needs to change this week? And if you're here, and you're extremely upset by what I've said today, and your spouse is not your best friend at all, in fact, you're not even sure they're your friend, period. In fact, you might even say, our friendship's dead. And, I, and you just said that they have to be my best friend, and, and this is very depressing for me, and I don't like this at all. Well, if Princess Bride taught us anything, it's that there's dead, and there's mostly dead. Right? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't expect that, all right? Listen, but hey, hey, good, laugh, yes, listen. It's just mostly dead. <laughs> breathe, seriously, breathe, breathe. There's an ember in there somewhere under the ashes of unmet expectations, under the ashes of disappointment. There's an ember, in, there's a friendship in there, dude. There's a a flash of glory that you saw in that person. It's still there. And it might be under ashes of unmet expectation and frustration and conflict, but it's still there. It's not dead. It's mostly dead. And if you can find that flash of glory, you can begin to walk forward, man. And no matter where you're at in your marriage, I just want to tell this to you. It is humility and self-sacrifice that's gonna get you to the next step. Those are the two things. If you're gonna take any ground, these are the two things you need in spades to make this thing work. And the only place we're gonna find it is in Jesus. We see in him ultimate humility and ultimate self-sacrifice. He moved towards us with ultimate vulnerability. You see, he showed us how to do it. He showed us, y'all, how to give ourselves to someone else fully with priority, with vulnerability, right? Let me pray for us. Jesus.